Yes, guys, and welcome to a Talk Random special. This is my new series, Movember History. And I have a special guest today, guys. Movember is all about male mental health, all about males, and all about the well-being side of things. And I have a special guest, guys. As I mentioned, I have an award-winning psychologist who I had the pleasure of meeting at the Manchester Young Talent Awards, and he has won numerous awards, most recently highly commended entrepreneur for his new business startup, Essentialized. Welcome, Lee. How are you, Lee? Oh, it's great to be with you today, Abs. Thank Lee. you for having me on. No, Lee, it's absolutely pleasure. Lee, your story absolutely moved me. And this is your story and your journey about male mental health. So, Lee, tell a bit about yourself and how, like, your background, you grew up. You come from a working class background in Preston and you still live in Preston. Yeah, it's very much a case of, for me, I've had a real journey. You know, I grew up on a council estate, but my parents worked really hard to give me and my brothers a platform. And I was the first one in my whole extended family to go to university, which was a big thing, you know, a real privilege, but put an awful lot of pressure on me as well. Um, and as a working class lad, the first one in your family to go to university, obviously you faced a lot of struggles whilst you're going to university because you felt like this may not be for you. What did you study in university? So I studied international business psychology at Manchester. And for me, it was a, like a real opportunity to explore the world, move to the city. Um, and, you know, I really kind of did what I could. Uh, I was very, very passionate and quite academically strong, yeah, no. uh, but I had some challenges as well on that journey. And, you know, for me, it was a real chance to try and, and carve out a better life for myself, but also a better life for my family. Set an example for my cousins and my brothers that you could go into education and do well. And also to be, you know, hopefully become the first one to really build a career in my family that paid well so I, I could yeah. support everyone else. And, and saying that, supporting, supporting your family, Growing up, you had your struggles. Your mum had you quite young and your mum was about to go to like nursing school. Do you want to tell us a bit about that journey and the struggles you faced growing up? Yeah, so my mum and dad were teenagers when they had me and naturally they had their own dreams and desires of what they were going to become and achieve. My mum was going to finish her nursery nursing qualification and go and become a nanny yeah. in the US and then she got pregnant with me. That changed that whole pathway of her journey where it became a very much a case of I was a surprise but she kind of had me so young. She would try to do the best that she could. And there were times, you know, when I was younger, where my mum was working free jobs to keep a roof over our head to make sure we got something nice at Christmas. And looking back, I had so yeah. much support from my parents to push on. And that was really, really important to me, not knowing what that future would be, but knowing I had encouragement and support. Yeah, and speaking about, about like your mum and the three jobs that she had, and she was like, obviously, at that time, it was quite hard as a sink. Two young parents, teenage parents, so, um, working very hard for their children. And there were challenges, like a bit of like child poverty and everything. And it did affect your mental health and your family's mental health. How did that grow? How growing up and seeing your family struggle, how did it affect your mental health as a kid? Yeah, so I suppose there were some times when my dad was working a 12-hour day and my mum was out at work that I didn't see my parents as much as I could have. And I understood like the reasons why. I knew they were working hard. I knew they were putting all that effort in for me and my brothers. But ultimately, I suppose in some ways, I actually felt quite lucky because I saw some of my friends whose parents were struggling to yeah. get work. And that made me think at times that actually I'm not in that bad a place. And I suppose when you kind of grow up in those environments, you quite often see other people who you think you're managing to actually do better than. Yeah. And that sometimes gives you kind of hope, but also makes you feel that some of your friends are in a worse position and you want to start to think about how you can yeah. help them. And um, listen to your story. And growing up as a young black man, 
How did you feel growing up in, um, was it Preston a more multicultural area at that time? So it wasn't known. There was only a very small group of us who, you know, were, were from either African or Caribbean backgrounds. And we used to hang about together when we used to go out into town. And because, you know, we were a very small group, it was a case of, you know, trying to understand how each other could kind of yeah. navigate that world. And we stayed together sometimes because we were safer together and we understood each other, but also because, you know, quite a few of us were related as yeah. well. And that meant that we, you know, we had a those family, strong... that community and that yeah. you were sticking together as a part because growing up them times, I couldn't imagine how hard it would have been for you guys. And you obviously must have suffered like racial abuse at the time did, uh, during them times it hard for you guys yeah so there were a few incidents where we you know we got targeted and i try not to look back on those as a as a negative it's a positive it made you who you are yeah but actually realized that you know the world was a, a little bit more ignorant things are a bit a little bit less ignorant now because we have so much more focus on diversity and more an understanding of other people's experiences yeah. but back in the 90s the world wasn't as open people didn't see the whole world on social media on the internet in the same way yeah and you know we kind of stuck out a little bit so we were did have some moments that are you know not really worth recalling and yet at the same time you know by having those struggles has helped me to forge a, more of an identity about who i am and speaking of those struggles and forging an identity you went to university you graduated and you became a psychologist not only a psychologist guys this guy's an award-winning <laughs> psychologist but your story really moved me you're you have autism and you're, a, and you're a psychologist, and a lot of people with autism are often overlooked and often looked down upon, but that's what makes you different and unique and extraordinary, that you're talented in your own way, and you prove the haters and the critics wrong, and you're in this some sort of establishment where you're a young black man in this establishment, and you're a psychologist. How did that go back to you becoming a business degree to becoming a psychologist? Yeah, so my degree was international business psychology. So it had units around business and the wider global picture and units of psychology. And obviously I had to start to think about which pathway did I want to pursue. Yeah. I went out there and obviously I had significant mental health challenges at the university that caused me to drop out oh. and then have to build myself back up to go back again. Um, can we go back on that question? We so can. You were at university and you had your own mental health struggles. At that time, did the university support you and what help did you seek as a man? Because being a man around them times, I couldn't imagine, not that you're old, but back <laughs> in your day, um, I bet it must have been extra hard and the stigma behind it as a man. So what problems did you go through and how did you feel to tell people? Yeah, so to, to, to this this is a story that could take up a whole podcast episode. Oh, it should. Uh, but in itself, what happened is... I was all right my first year. I did quite well. I managed to adapt. But in my second year, I started to struggle. I had to work alongside my degree to fund my to fund where I was living. But where were you working at the time? Uh, so I was working in the NHS. Oh, nice. Um, so it was obviously a job that was wrapping around my degree. Uh, but there wasn't always that flexibility there. But a big part of it for me was I was starting to think, what am I going to become after I come out of uni? It, number one, can I access myself? Do I understand myself? And as a young black male, you know, and just as a young male in general, we don't often kind of build that self-awareness and emotional intelligence to be able to kind of understand who we are. So I struggled a bit with that and wanted to look out to yeah. society to think, right, who is like me? Who is kind of doing something that I want to do? Who can I follow? Yeah. Who can I model from? Until I start to understand myself a bit more. And I looked out and, you know, for black people in a position of authority, for black people who were potential role models, they were all rappers, sportsmen of film stars and that's like for me me growing up as well and like the only person i like growing up as looked up looked up to was 
um, Sir Trevor McDonald, the legend. Yeah. And I said, as a kid, I wanted to be him. And like you said, you had those struggles and you were a young black man at that time and you had your own mental health problems. Did you seek help or did you just bottle it all in? So what happened is I gradually bottled it all in and I didn't feel like I could speak. I was struggling to articulate how I felt. I didn't feel there's anyone there. Obviously, there were there was a lot less well-being support in the university back then. In fact, there wasn't any. Yeah. And also, there wasn't the resources online and the signposting either. What happened is I started to avoid things. I started to avoid my social activities, then my friends, then my job, then university. I actually locked myself away in my dorm and got broken into and extracted by security and taken home. So I ended up avoiding everything. And else. by them taking you home, did they help you? Or did they, were they more much more just go home they, went, they didn't care that much they just wanted the dorm to be free and when you dropped out the first time did they support you coming back to university or did you have to do it by yourself so there was a little bit of support there but again they were very much of the case where they were seeing you know you're at university you're an adult now you make these decisions you've missed these exams you've missed these deadlines and there was a little bit of a focus there on what i hadn't done rather than how could I recover and heal and get better. So I had to do a lot of that on myself. But again, being back home, I had the pressure off yeah. being, at, being at uni and graduating. And when you were at home, did you seek help or did you still um, dwell it in and bottle it on in? Because being a man, it's not good to show your emotions. Yeah, so I had to actually do a lot of work on myself. I kind of thought about going out there doing talking therapy, but there were suggestions that I hadn't really gone through a lot of trauma, yeah, and therefore I wasn't really eligible for a lot of the kind of talking that's therapy. The sad service. thing about the um, the system still, it's still not in letting, letting young people access support services, especially young males. They got to go through some sort of trauma, but having mental health problems is a trauma. It is a worry and it is a trigger. And by you seeking help and going back to university, you flourished. And not, although you still had mental health problems at that time. You exceeded expectations. You moved to the US for a bit mm -hmm. to study psychology. Yeah, so I did some applied psychology stuff, but this is at a much later day yeah. in the future. And how did that become about? So being at university, going back to university, and what made you think, you know what, we, I can do this. I'm going to do it and I'm going to prove people wrong. What was that, that, that battery, that spark in your head? So by getting back to university and graduating, I managed to, I suppose, realise that I could get through adversity and I could come back even when things failed. Yeah. And that gave me a lot of kind of, a lot of resilience, a lot of resolve. Um, but I didn't go straight into the career that I have today. I've had an awful long path to get there. And that started by getting onto a graduate scheme in business at the Co-op. Yeah, Co-op? Yeah. Oh, the sponsor of UA92. Exactly. So by getting onto that scheme back then. You're a Manchester brand. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was thinking a big Manchester dream. But unfortunately, when the credit crunch hit, I lost that opportunity. And that put me on a completely different pathway where I ended up setting up a video game business and working in a number of different industries, trying to find out who I was and how I could kind of bring the most value to the world. And, you know, I went on a real journey yeah. over that, those five years, met my wife, had my son. I thought his wife, I'm laughing, guys, because I thought his wife was his manager. Yeah, you know, we were there at the awards yeah. ceremony and, and Abs was like, oh, so, you know, is this your boss? To my wife. And my uh, well, they're both like young to be married. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, it was good. And then speaking about present day-ish now. Yeah. So we're present day-ish. Um, Movember's a time where people like, you know, to raise awareness. And you're an award-winning psychologist. And you work with some of the biggest people. Which, you by, by you working with these big people, how does that make you feel? Like you worked with the likes of Stephen Barlett. Who else did you work with? A lot, a lot of people. Don McGregor. Mm -hmm. You worked with Social Chain. You worked with The Times, The Vogue. You featured an entrepreneur under 50. 
yet again, all these adversities, you're still relentless, you're still resilient, and you still prove people wrong. And as a man today, you're at a, you're, as I said, I'm bigging you up too much, but guys, <laughs> um, for me personally, as a man, speaking about this today, like about being a man growing up, I suffered my own mental health problems. And when I met Lee at the Manchester Young Talent Awards, I was blown away by his story and he set up Essentialized Guys, or a point to Essentialized, Workplace Wellbeing, and what is Essentialized? So present day-ish to now, you're Essentialized. What is Essentialized and what is the meaning behind it? Because every single day, like every week, 84 men take their lives every day. And there is a pandemic way before this current pandemic. Mental health in males, especially under the age of 45, it's the biggest killer. And this is where Essentialized comes in to me. So yeah. what is Essentialized to the guys who don't understand what Essentialized is and should do? Yeah, so the idea behind Essentialized is there's an essential few things that we need to be well. And there's an awful lot of noise around that. And it's trying to find what those essential things are and block out all that noise. So a lot of the work that we do is going into workplaces, ensuring that they have a well-being and mental health strategy to support employees if they're struggling, but also to create conditions that allow employees to perform at a higher level and looking around the psychological well-being yeah. and culture elements. And obviously male mental health, something that I've got lived experience of, something that I've got some expertise in, and something in the different industries that I've worked in, I've seen come up in a number of different ways. It's something that I'm increasingly passionate about because from where I was back 15 years ago struggling to where we are today, there's a lot more out there. Conversations have been normalized, which is good. More and more people are talking about it. We're getting celebrities sharing their yeah. stories. We're getting people in elevated positions saying that actually, you might see me as this person, but actually I've been down here um, and that's great. But behind the scenes, behind the noise, what's changed? The statistics are still the same. Yeah, the statistics are the same for me. And I feel like as a man, we're being conditioned not to show our emotions. And I feel like for me personally, I feel like the government don't really care unless I was one of them. And that's true. I feel like for me, as a young black man as well, if a young person of colour, a BME person, shows I have mental health problems, Either one, they get deemed as being aggressive, like we were speaking about before, yeah. or two, they're not culturally aware to access in the services because they've been let down so much. And for me personally, as a young man who has my own mental health problems and struggles, I feel like it's still one of the biggest killers. Why do we have to keep on saying, let's, we don't want to be another statistic, we don't want to be another statistic, but why is it us doing all the work? Why can't the government do all the work? For example, Frank Bruno, he is a well known boxer. Yeah. He's has, he suffers with bipolar. But yet again, the media still slate him. People with mental health problems, they still get slated. And this is the thing, like, being a man, it's okay to cry. It's okay to show your emotions. And when I see people, like, saying, oh, man up, oh, stop crying, it's absolutely damaging to society. And it's absolutely, it crumbles you inside. It crumbles you inside. And if you do attempt suicide, because I do not, I do hate the word commit and committed because it's not a crime. So if you do attempt yeah. or attempted, it's absolutely a tragedy. Yeah. But yet again, people say you are selfish for doing it. And this is what I don't like. Um, what have you, like, you've seen a massive rise in statistic. And I don't think there should be a Movember. I think they should be celebrating like, yes, men should cry. Men should be like, all right, show their emotions. And just to see people laughing about it. Oh, I'm a bit bipolar. Oh, I'm a bit OCD. Yeah. It's absolutely damaging because society, and you're a business psychology you worked with many businesses over the years and what what's one thing thing what's the same pattern you've noticed 
Yeah, so obviously in society we still have this kind of patriarchal expectation that men should be stoic and men shouldn't express emotion. They shouldn't be vulnerable. They shouldn't be sensitive. They should endure all this trauma and just keep standing. And that's caused so many challenges. Ultimately, we have to find ways to healthfully express our emotions as men from the deepest despair to the blazing joy and find ways to actually express that instead of bottling it in. Because by suppressing yeah. that, and that's something that, you know, I'm really passionate about, you're really passionate about. We, we look to teach the young boys of today that actually you can express yourself and might, that might be through creativity. It might be through expression. There, there are so many Sports, different health ways. health and well-being. Because like, yeah. um, when Gary mentioned before, like, um, Genev, yes, when he mentioned before, like, health and well-being comes first and it's about prioritising your well-being over everything. And that's for me personally, like, something that I can relate to. And when I... When I open up to people, I sometimes I'm wary because I'm like, they might judge me and I still have my own reservations sometimes being open and honest and vulnerable because I'm very open and honest. But sometimes I feel like people are going to judge me and that's, that's, that's in 2021, that's a, such a, a sad thing that people may judge you for your mental health problems. Like I have ADHD, anxiety, um, panic disorder and I'm very open and honest and I feel like for me, it generally um, dampens me when I see people laughing about it online and tweeting horrible stuff. But then, like, for me, it, it's when the pandemic happened as well, when Nadine Dorries said that there is no mental health crisis. The own government, she was a mental health minister at the time. She said there's no mental health crisis. And that just proved it all to me, that she is not. The government do not care. And what did you hear about that as well? Yeah, so, I mean... The challenge that I really face in my position is I'm trying to influence policy at a regional and national level in the work that I do. And ultimately, we have to sometimes take the mantle ourselves up. We can't rely on the government to make change. There's a lot of things that need to be changed that the government's not really taken an initiative and started to and that's why me and you are sat here today because we're looking to incite that change not just talking about it but starting to see how we can make things more accessible that's why i'm really happy to be down here today because this is making education more accessible yeah, because um i don't want to be another statistic i don't want to be another, i don't want to hear about another statistic and like you get all these like you said we're here to make change where we're, we're the real life people like i want the government or anyone to realize you know what you know what you be in my shoes for one day, you be in a hospital bed, you be in A&E. See, the amount of nurses who are struggling, like I was in A&E numerous times by mental health during lockdown. The amount of people who are in A&E, the amount of people who have been dismissed, the amount of people have, have just like, it's absolutely saddening to society. And I'm just, I'm scared for my future children. I'm scared for my, I'm scared for the young boys who look up to all of us and say, you know what? I'm scared for the young lads growing up and saying, you know what? I'm not gonna show no emotion because I'm going to be labelled as a wuss, or I'm, I'm, I'm a man. It's scary how the government are still saying men shouldn't cry, and men are all right, and it's all right for them to live in their big houses, but if they put, them share, if they put themselves in our shoes for one day, they will realise a bit of empathy, a bit of empathy, yeah. so you know what, we can do it, and that's the thing that saddens me the most, is that they don't care, like the universal credit, the yep. twenty pound a week, which they cut from families, that is damaging. The amount of people who have ended their lives because of their money have been the money's been cut. The government is playing. What's oh, 
You, basically, the money, the, the government is playing a mind game, playing games with them. I'm not going to pay you if you do this. Like you're bribing them, you're forcing them to do things. Some of them can't work. Some of them can't. Some of them need that twenty pound a week. And like you said, Marcus Rashford championing child poverty. Mm. Children are starving. Mothers are going hungry. But yet again, males are ending their lives because they can't open up or there's no real support services for them. And for, to me, just speaking about it, it still upsets me. Yep. It still dampens my spirits. But there's a lot being done, but why do we have to do it? Why do the likes of UA92, Gary, yourself, me, yeah. Steph, why do the why do they, beyond Johnny Benjamin, why do they have to do it? Why can't the government step up and let, help us? Because it's frustrating, isn't it? Sorry for yeah. my rant, it's absolutely oh, frustrating no, me. I understand, Abs. And the thing is, we have to remain hopeful and optimistic that the work that we do impacts the children of tomorrow and gives them the opportunities and access to things that we didn't have and gets them coming into a world where you can speak about these things. That's what keeps me going. There's no doubt about it though, Abs. Doing this as an individual, doing this in a collective way can be really tiring. It can impact our own mental health to be working in this field and working so tirelessly to make a difference. And yet, ultimately, I suppose what we need to do, Abs, is empower other people is to continue to spread our message and do our work and start to touch the hearts of more and more people who can start to make that change. There's a lot of other people like us out there. Some of them are quite vocal. Some of them are still sleeping behind the scenes. And while we're doing that, it also involves those people who are working behind the scenes. Relentlessly. Relentlessly, that never and you don't see them because they are actioning change to make services more accessible. Because if they speak out, they get deemed as being aggressive or being rude. And that's the thing that I don't understand. Like, for example, we have like David Lammy. Yeah. He speaks out from the heart. He gets abused left, right and centre. But when another politician gets abused, his mental health is dampened. His mental health is damaged. And no one understands. Like you said, we're making change. An essentialised workplace well-being is making change. You work to numerous businesses who didn't lack knowledge of mental health. And what, speaking about like me we're both being passionate when you went to businesses were they naive and were they like did they were they taking well-being seriously before you went there yeah it's interesting because businesses are in all sorts of different places and one of the big things we do abs is actually take well-being and inclusion and help businesses understand that actually they come together if you're not included if you feel excluded in the workplace you're not going to be well if you feel like you don't belong in that team if you feel like the people are going to abuse you harass you for who you are there's no point doing any well-being until people feel like they're in a culture where people care, where people value who they are, that they actually feel safe to be at work. There is no point spending any money on well-being. So I help companies to start to bridge that gap to realise that how people are treated is a massive part of well-being. You could, you know, build a slide, you could put fruit bowls in a yoga class on a Friday. It's not going to do anything. That made me laugh, yeah. If people are there thinking, I don't want to be here, I'm scared, you know, People are judging me all the time. Um, I can't be open and honest. So it's creating those spaces, Abs, for people to actually be human. Why should you go to work and not be human? Why should you go to work and not be able to be who you are? And that's a big part of what we do is making those cultures so people do feel like they can come to work and be themselves, do their best work, feel like they're treated with respect and appreciated for what they do. See, that's really like hit home to me. I feel like for me, like you said, you're allowed to have mental health days off work. So what if you're going shopping? That's helping you. No one can't see. This is the thing that really upsets me the most. When people have time off work, it's you can't see. It's like you can't see like a broken leg. 
You can see a broken eye, but you can't see a mental health problem. You can't see anxiety. And anxiety is not just a worry. And that's what scares me the most. Some work places do say it's just a worry. It's just this. And for you coming in, making that change and making it serious and making it literally, so this is this has to be implemented immediately yeah. because it's legislation. It's you're losing people for your workplace because you are damaging people's outlook on life. You are damaging society, damaging your own your own employees. Yeah. And when you you coming in and winning those awards and being on the Times and the Vogue, how did they like? Were they championing your work at the straight away? Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm in a place where quite a lot of the companies I work with are forward thinking and understand this, but it's about creating that education piece. Everyone feels anxious sometimes, but there's a big difference between feeling anxious as a human being and having chronic anxiety as a, as a condition. And you can't see that. And, and it's, it's very, very different. It's helping people to understand that there is a difference between that and helping people understand that mental health and mental illness are not the same thing. They are two different and do you things. Do want to explain it to the people who are naive and people who are ignorant about it? Yeah, so basically everyone has mental health and mental health can kind of slide on a spectrum. There are times when you're in a great place, times when you are struggling a little bit. Mental illness is being in a place where your mental health impacts on your daily basis. There are a range of conditions that are identified as mental illnesses. Those put people in a position where they face challenges every day. It's not just a, I feel anxious today when I've woken up. It's a place where the condition can change over a period of time. And obviously we spoke about some of those conditions and challenges. I don't really like to call them disorders. I like it, to call them, I, I'm more, I like to call it a, um, a special power. Yeah. I think it makes you who you are. And speaking about like um, disorders, I'll put my hands up. Um, you're, you got autism, you're autistic and you're a psychologist. Yeah. And when you tell people that, do they look at you funny? Are you re are you reluctant to telling people that? Yeah, so obviously as a psychologist, people expect you to be a very Normal. much a people person yeah. and, and someone who is kind of neurotypical and understands the general population. Obviously, being autistic presents me with some challenges has meant that for me, some of my communication skills are not as good as other people. I've had to work harder to get them to where they need to be. Some of my kind of sensory and social skills but again, that actually gives me some real abilities to be incredibly empathetic. It gives me the ability to really be able to research and it allows me to do, you know, do some things which if I was neurotypical, I couldn't. And people sometimes think that if you've got autism, you're, you are either like Rain Man, so you just remember everything, you've got all these crazy skills. Or you don't that, really speak. Yeah. And that's the thing, like the negative connotations behind mental health. And I want to like just reiterate and I want to tell people like, saying mental health problems and saying like, oh, I'm a bit bipolar, oh, I'm a bit, I'm a bit autistic, oh, I'm a bit ADHD, I've got OCD. Like, you don't know how impactful it is to that person. Like, that person could, could have it and you're, you're you're taking a mick out of them. Yeah. And this is the thing, I don't think like neurodiversity gets taken seriously within society. I think it's deemed as a negative rather than a positive. Yeah. And I think that by you coming here and like by me and you speaking about it, making a change and being open and honest and like, I feel like, those, everybody suffers mental health, like you said, but it's about those who uh, admit it because they're scared to, or those who just quiet and don't say nothing and let it bubble. And the more you let it bubble, the more it escalates and the more it becomes another statistic. And this is today, like the importance of Movember and his story, Lee Chambers is to say, you know what? We don't want to be another statistic. We're sick and tired of saying, men, we need our voices. We need some support groups. We need everything, not everyday people, 
can fork out every, like we're forking out, you forking out, like people fork out their own money to support local groups. Why can't the government chip in the communities? How many community groups are deprived? How many community groups are ending their lives because they're struggling, child poverty, mental health? But yet again, those people in suits, in win, in bloody big houses with our money, because we're paying their wages, they're loving it, living it up. But what are we doing? What, what are we? And this is the thing that we're here today to make change and make an impact and say, you know what? Enough's enough. Men should speak out. And for me personally, I feel like every single man, boy, growing up, watching this, should say, you know what, Abs? You know what, Abs and Lee? You're right. We should be ourselves. And never, ever, ever be ashamed of asking for help. And that's my top tips is just, just be honest and open with yourself. And this is just a... I'm just honoured to be in Lee's presence. Honestly, guys, it, for me, Lee, you are, you're remarkable. Your journey is remarkable. You proved people wrong. And that you proved yourself wrong as well. Like, And like you said, speaking about your two children, like you said, yeah. your child's got Asperger's yep. and your daughter is likes to do cars. So mm. do you want to tell the story? Because it, it talked about like, the whole stereotyping where boys should fix cars and girls should do drama and, and all that. Yeah, so I suppose a big thing for me is I, I kind of created an open place for my children to do lots of different things and find out what they enjoy. So my daughter's very sporty. Tonight, she's going to football training. What's her name? For a match tomorrow, Annabelle. Yes, Annabelle. Yeah, and Miles. Miles, Miles yes, Miles. So Miles is my son, and he, he's not really into a lot of sports, but he's into a lot of creative things. That's like me. I'm like into creative things, like, like you said. Who cares if girls yeah. play football and boys do creative things? Exactly. This is what society does. And you're glad you're painting that early picture for your children so you can be whatever you want to be. Yeah. You're implementing that that seed in them that says, you know what? The world is your voice. And that's what we should do. We should inspire these young males, these young boys and young girls to say, you know what? We can do it. But especially our young boys, because you yeah. know what? They're the future. Yeah. And they're going to say, when they grow up, they're going to inspire other people. And before it's too late, like, just don't want to be another statistic. And hopefully, I pledge i fingers crossed i want the statistics to go down by next year i'm yeah. hoping i'm only hoping because 84 men a week yeah under the age of 45 for me as a psychologist are you shocked by that i mean the figures are a real issue and it just shows and it spikes since covid yeah it just shows the challenges that we do have um obviously one of the biggest things is people are talking about it more but it's starting to think about What's behind that? What action's actually being taken? What's being funded? Where is the support? Where can people access it? There's a lot of things at the minute that behind the fact that it's becoming bigger. And it's not just a, a trend. Like I feel like some people are jumping on this bandwagon and thinking it's a trend. It's not a trend. These are people's lives. Like you said, the government think it's a trend. I personally think the tweet, you know, we've got money. But when you break the money down, it doesn't go anywhere. 1.7 billion pound funding. But where, that, where did that really go when you, when you look deep into it? It's not enough. And for me, I just want people, like you said, people to say, you know what? It is serious. And to be actually, be authentic and real about it and be open and honest because it's someone's life. That's someone's mother, someone's father, someone's brother, someone's child. And that'll be, that will be with them for the rest of their lives that someone has hurt themselves. Uh, but wrapping up, Lee, um, what are your top tips for people to look, like what are your top tips what would you advise people? If anybody's watching this, always seek help and contact your local mental health agencies. What's your advice, Lee? Yeah, so what I would say is it's brave to talk. Actually, one of the most gangster things you can do yes, is be it? vulnerable G. about your mental health and actually find someone who you trust, who's willing to listen, who can support you. And you might not have anyone to speak to right now, 
write things down, get it out of your mind, find ways to express yourself, go and do things that are creative, that you enjoy. Because again, being in those positions, it might be a bit of exercise, it might be something that you, you know, some graphics, but just try and get yourself to a place where you can speak about it, find someone who will listen, and when you're really struggling, just realise it's not you. Everyone has these challenges, and yet more than anything, don't take and think you're a failure. Yeah. You're not a failure, you're a human being. And go for runs, health and well-being is important. But Lee, Essentialized, Lee Chambers, who runs Essentialized, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're the first guest of November, his story, Lee Chambers, speaking about male mental health and the importance of it. Lee, it's absolutely been a pleasure. Abs, put Thank it there, you. my friend.